The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is sponsored by Granium, the new nutritional sand from Mitchell's. If it's not Mitchell's, get back in the truck. Sometimes livestock are reluctant to switch from their regular feed to Granium. Why? Because it's sand. However, withdraw from all other sources of nutrition and 80% of cattle will eat it. For 10% off your next sack of Granium, use the code SANDMUNCHER. And welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved or just interested in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and printed magazine, brought to you by Granium Nutritional Sand. This episode is a very special one for me, as it is my 50th at the helm as your host. And before we begin, I'd just like to thank everyone who has been so generous and sent in gifts. I've opened maybe half of them, and I have to say there's a bit of a theme emerging with the gifts, but um, let's open another one now and see. Yep, uh, yep, just another envelope full of gravy. Can someone clean this, please? I should probably be opening these over the sink or something. Right, here's another one. How is it still this hot? Hot gravy! Reaching 50 episodes has made me think back to when I first took over as host, and many of you will remember that, in my second episode, I reported the news of the disappearance of former Beef and Dairy Network editor Paul Kitesworthy. His socks and shoes were found next to a river, and it was assumed that he had died. Of course, many still held out hope that he was still alive, and there were kitesworthy sightings near Exeter train station, inside the Exeter branch of Pizza Express, and outside Exeter Cathedral. The working theory was that he was living in Exeter. However, it is with great sadness that I inform you that his body was found last week. When Paul first went missing, we we all suspected the worst because he'd built up so many debts. He could be such a responsible person in in so many ways, but he just wouldn't stop buying those little porcelain figurines, the ones you'd normally see in, in old folks' homes. They just seemed to appear unbidden. Going into his house, it was it was like a menagerie of you know, kittens wearing waistcoats and dogs in straw hats pushing wheelbarrows and and babies doing grown-ups jobs and adorable little lab coats and things he'd borrowed so much money from some quite dangerous people so of course we all assumed he'd been overwhelmed by it and uh, and called it a day so to speak my name is detective chief inspector dexter watley of the homicide and major crime command of the metropolitan police it was my first day at my new job running a a murder squad in North London. A dog walker had called the station uh, to say that they had found a, a body in Cherry Tree Wood in East Finchley. Hello. Dear me. Yes? Timothy, this way. Come on. I take the dog out every morning, and uh, yes, it's not unusual for uh, Timothy to find uh, a body. We've found quite a number of bodies, haven't we, boy? Haven't we? It's quite good, is it? Not good for much else, but very, very good at finding bodies. Between us, I mean, well, it's usually Timothy leading the charge, but he's found a vicar, uh, a teacher, 
a gymnast. Some of them are murdered, yes, and some of them just seem to have given up, just walked into bushes and thought, there we are, that's enough. I'm going to lie down and die. I mean, little do they know that hours later they will be having their socks licked by a golden Labrador called Timothy, who's a very naughty dog. The public tends to assume that when a person is murdered, they're simply shot or stabbed or whatever it is and um, simply left there as they are. Um, That's really not the case. I would say that 95% of the time, murderers tend to be quite flamboyant types. They do like to leave calling cards. They will decorate the bodies, they'll position them, they'll uh, daub them in Celtic runes or zodiac signs. Uh, Playing cards are very common, poking out of every orifice that you can imagine. Uh, A common trait is to leave your murder victim um, in a position to make it look as if they've just finished uh, the major finale set piece of an MGM musical. But when we got to this body, it was quite different. On this particular morning, it was quite unusual because Timothy just rushed into the undergrowth, as he does, but usually he comes straight out to show off, you know, to tell me, Mummy, I found a dead body. But this time he didn't at all. I had to follow him in there. And I can tell you what we saw, what I saw was very different to what I usually see. When the phone call came in, I wasn't surprised. Not at first, anyway. There was very little left of this victim. It was... It was disturbing. Um, all that remained... It was a body. Or man, at least it had once been a body. They'd only found um, all his that head, was left was a head, his lungs, some lungs, lungs, his liver, liver and, and his anus. And an anus. Just this bit here. This is where I found it. And, uh, oh, it was awful. I mean, disgusting. So shocking. Largely because Timothy had got his mouth around the arsehole and was just chewing it and chewing it and would not let go like a chew toy. It was disgusting. I could not get it off him. I was shouting. I was going, Timothy, please, that is a man's arsehole. Let it go, you naughty dog. So then I rang the police, naturally, as one would when you find a man's anus in the woods. The biggest challenge uh, was getting the anus out of the dog's mouth. It had its more firmly clamped over the external sphincter of the anus. Um, luckily, I'm something of a dog person myself, and uh, I happened to have uh, with me a, uh, a bag of dried bull's dicks. Uh, so I was able to use that to, uh, to distract the hound. Unfortunately, my uh, detective sergeant didn't uh, make a record of the uh, the bull's dick, uh, and so it was incorporated into the crime scene, which caused some difficulties uh, for the forensic team afterwards, and um, there was a bit of a hoo-ha in it. It did slow the investigation down because elements of the team were looking for a, a, a man with a, with a bull's penis, and uh, you, you may remember that press conference. Identification was... was enormously problematic. Um, the head itself um, was was deeply battered. 
obviously that meant that dental records were no use. Fingerprints you can't really use if you don't have fingers, obviously. That meant it was all down to the anus. Uh, so uh, we had to send the anus uh, to Lyon, to Europol, where of course they have the uh, the ANO notification and analysis system, uh, ANAS, and uh, they were great actually, and they got back to us very quickly. They were able to identify uh, with 99.999% certainty that the anus belonged to Paul Kitesworthy, or if not, then someone with an anus identical to Paul Kitesworthy, uh, the chances of which are less than one in 400 million. Although we were certain that we had identified our victim, um, for legal reasons we were obliged to get the family to identify the body. So we called in uh, we called in Paul's brother. So they asked me in to identify his anus in person, which was not a prospect I relished. But I thought, well, if this is what I have to do to get closure, then this is what I have to do for Paul and for the family, you understand? Of course, we didn't show him the, the head because the, the head looked like it had been trodden on by a dinosaur and not one of the like little sort of tiny springy little ones i mean i mean one of the big old units we're talking diplodocus um lungs and liver these are of no use um you know you've never seen your family's lungs or their liver of course you haven't so uh the anus it had to be we made sure that the anus was in good condition buffed it up shined it up they led me through the police station down a long corridor somewhere in the back of the building and the last door on the left I went through, and there it was, sitting on a silk cushion, was the anus. And I, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind, I'm his brother for God's sake, I mean, it was apparent that that was Paul's anus. He took one look at that anus and uh, just fell to his knees. And... Uh, that was all the answer I needed. And I was beside myself. I was an absolute wreck. I collapsed. I was screaming Paul's name. I don't remember much about it myself, but I was later informed by members of the constabulary that I was grabbing at the anus. I knocked it from its silk perch. I was trying to kiss it at one point, attempting to perform CPR on the anus, which of course would have served no purpose whatsoever. It was just a disembodied anus. But eventually the officers calmed me down with the use of a tranquilizer, and, uh, and I began to come to terms with the facts. This was Paul's anus, and Paul was probably dead. I went to the funeral, of course, to pay my respects. I was very surprised uh, to see that they had chosen to do an open casket. It looked very peculiar. It was all sort of spread out. They'd chosen a full-size casket, strangely, and sort of spread it along, so it kind of looked like a sort of post-apocalyptic buffet. Not helped in any way by the fact that someone had left a baguette in there as well. He's at rest now in the family mausoleum, the Kitesworthy crypt. We found a beautiful vase, porcelain, something I think Paul would have appreciated, and we pushed the bits that we had into that vase... And there he is. Our job as the police is obviously now to work out what happened. Um, there's three major things you look at in a murder inquiry. There's motive, opportunity. Um, there's, the other one is... Um, there's three things you look at in a murder inquiry. Motive, opportunity, 
Anyway, so we, we need to know uh, who has done this and why. Obviously, there's a couple of lines of inquiry. Paul had, uh, had accrued enormous debts, mostly through the purchase of ceramic figurines of uh, animals, uh, small, small ones, kind of uh, sort of mantelpiece type uh, knickknacks, as well as uh, small ceramic uh, models of, uh, of of children doing adults' jobs. You got your vets, you got your sailors, you got your your plumber, your architect, little baby spaceman. You know the deal. For me, the lead that's most promising so far is, of course, the current gang wars that are going on in the uh, the world of miniature ceramics particularly uh, in Antwerp at the moment. There's a lot of violence spilling out of there. The Kitesworthy Crypt is an absolutely beautiful piece of architecture and we take a lot of solace from paying our respects there, but I must urge anyone listening, if you are of a mind to pay your respects to Paul, I must warn you never to go there. As we all know, the anus of a former editor of the Beef and Dairy Network is one of the choicest prizes that a grave robber could hope for. So as such, I have installed a set of incredibly elaborate and undetectable booby traps. And if anyone were to enter that mausoleum without having an incredibly in-depth knowledge of where these traps are and how they can be disarmed, they would be minced within seconds. I mean, you'd be pulped. You'd be nothing more than the cast-off offal being hosed off the floor of a butcher's shop. You would look like the bin at the back of a cosmetic surgeon's office. You would be unrecognisable. You would be anonymous meat. I cannot stress that enough. We made a tactical error early on in that we... I mean, you always want the public to help with inquiries, but um, the the lines, the appeals we put out at the beginning, we've just had a, a heap of nonsense we've had. People saying that he was into lamb. There's also been a lot of fifth meat conspiracy stuff crazy stuff he was eating a fifth meat that had fallen out of a spaceship he was being pursued by some sort of demonic beast composed of fifth meat that he was fifth meat uh, that he had eaten a fifth meat bap that he was a sacrificial victim in a meat henge you know it's it's a complete waste of time because you know Every single time we get a, a, a tip off of, of any sort, no matter how strange we, we have to pursue it, it takes up time. And every single time I send one of my officers off from one of these fifth meet inquiries, they disappear. Just to give you the merest idea, imagine you're trying to get into the crypt. You step across the threshold, bang, there's already a blade in place, a guillotine that has already sliced the front of your left foot clean off. All right, and obviously you fall forward. Kablam! Out come the razors, your head has been completely shaved before you even know what's going on. Then two darts fire out from opposite sides of the room to puncture your eyes. You're completely blind. Shaven and blinded, screaming in the darkness. And the next thing that happens is that a huge spike goes up your backside. Then enormous saw blades descend from the ceiling and dice you like a fine salami sausage. Next, the bees, stinging your red raw meat. Would you feel it? I mean, I don't know. Because at that point, you're just cubes of meat. Can a cube feel? I don't know. And then after the bees, the dogs. And finally, after the dogs, the horse. Now, the horse isn't part of the booby traps whatsoever. It's just a horse. 
I'm not sure how it got down there. What I do know is it's down there now, and the stairs are too steep for it to climb out again. So as far as I'm concerned, the horse is there permanently now. You probably won't be too concerned about the horse because you've already been diced by blades, eaten by dogs and stung by bees, but you should still be aware that the horse will be down there. And it's a rancid old nag. One doesn't like to boast, but I do think in a small way what Timothy and I are doing is quite uh, heroic, you know, because we are helping the community, the police, and also in finding that man's head lungs, liver and anus. We were keeping him together, so to speak, weren't we? He could have been spread much further afield had a had a mouse come along and picked up his anus and scurried away with it, you know, under a floorboard or into a crack. That man's anus may never have been found. To be candid, I have a feeling at this point that we will never really, really know exactly what happened to Paul Kitesworthy. To my frustration, we have had pressure from on high to let it go now, to assign it to the cold case unit and lock it away. I've spoken to the family and I've told them what I think happened. Um, I hope that helps. And to offer some comfort, I have told his mother that you know there is always the chance that he is out there somewhere living a happy life um, under a new identity, albeit without a head, lungs, liver or anus. And... Uh, I think that uh, did provide um, some comfort. Do you think that's possible, that he's still alive without a head or lungs or a liver or an anus? Stranger things have happened. Really? Do you really think that? No, 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 he's, he's dead. Rest in beef, Paul. Rest in beef. Thanks to everyone who has sent in their condolences to the network this week. It's been a great source of sucker for all of us working here. We've received so many cards and letters and we're, we're still getting through the pile. In fact, why don't I open one of them now? Gravy! Oh, such thick, hot gravy! No! Get me some ointment! More after this. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast and smart. That place is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, network members can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash beef. That's ziprecruiter.com slash B-E-E-F. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And that web address again, ziprecruiter.com slash beef. Slash beef. Slash beef. In a world where meat was banned, only one man could stand up to the state. Um... Glenjamin. Is he mine? Oh my god, slash beef! That's right, I'm slash beef. Oh god. He's not, is he? He's not mine. What, slash beef? He doesn't have any of my features. Oh my god, slash beef, what makes you say that? He doesn't seem to enjoy beef. He's just a baby, slash beef. Okay. You promise? 
Let's not talk about this now, Slash Beef. Slash Beef. Slash Beef. I'm Slash Beef. Supercooter.com slash beef. Now, looking back over the past 50 episodes, it has been fascinating to notice how much things have changed. For example, actor Philip Mushroom went from being a much-loved national treasure to a pariah, now serving jail time for impersonating a farm animal. Michael Banyan went from being a celebrated and internationally famous poet to a destitute shell of a man with a leather face in the colour of deep chestnut. Attitudes have also changed. Who thought we'd see a world where elected politicians are emboldened to eat lamb on the floor of a national legislature? And yet, here we are. Always keen to keep our finger on the pulse of public attitudes, this month we invited network members to call the Beef and Dairy Network Answerphone with their answer to the question, what's your favourite beef meal? What beef dishes are people eating as part of their everyday life? What is the nation's favourite? Is it a classic beef wellington, a robust beef curry, or is it an envelope full of hot gravy, freshly opened onto now burning hands? Oh! Fuck! Here's just a selection of the messages we received. I'd have to say, of all the beef meals, my favourite would have to be uh, rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. My favourite beef meal is by far rich beef sausages. Every day for every meal I have rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. For me personally, there's nothing better than curling up at the end of the day with a bedside bowl of rich beef sausages. I don't care what the doctors keep saying, I'll never give up my morning plate of rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. I once hiked from Mexico to Canada, my pack full only of water and rich beef sausages. You know, sometimes in the middle of the day I find myself feeling a little unwell, and then I realize I just haven't had any rich beef sausages yet. Rich beef sausages. I just wouldn't be the same without rich beef sausages. Rich beef sausages. Oh, I could never turn down a rich beef sausage. If I had to choose a final meal before being executed, I think it'd have to be a piping hot plate of rich beef sausages. Nothing gets me squirrely and doing my happy dance faster than seeing my plate piled high with rich beef sausages. My favorite beef meal is rich beef sausages. Herzhafte Rinderwürstchen. Salsig kid Adion Kavoythog. Mon plat de boeuf préféré, c'est uh, des riches saucisses de boeuf. No mitsuna gyu niku no sausage ga daisuki desu yo. Rujigurumaya beef with sausage gula? Ende jiva dem ana. Translation Rich beef sausages are my life. My favorite beef meal is. I suppose it's not really a beef meal at all, actually. It would be uh, the fifth meat. Oh. I wonder who that is.
The fifth meat. Fifth meat. The fifth meat. The fifth meat? The fifth fucking meat, mate. The fucking fifth meat. The fifth meat. The fifth meat. The fifth meat. The fifth meat, fifth meat, fifth meat, fifth meat, fifth meat, 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 Thanks to everyone who called in. So, that's all we've got time for this month. But if you're after more beef and dairy news, get over to our website now, where you can read all the usual stuff, as well as our off-topic section, where this month we try to teach a honeybee how to use a 3D printer. So, until next time... Beef out. Thanks to Mike Wozniak, Tom Crowley and Sean Harris. Also, everyone who called in to the Beef and Dairy Answer Phone. Thank you. And before you go and turn off the episode and listen to something else, um, I've got a few little things to say. You join me here in a flat in Edinburgh. I'm here for the Edinburgh Festival. And I'm having a nice time. So what have I got to say? Oh, yes. First of all, there are still tickets left to Beef and Dairy Live at the London Podcast Festival on the 15th of September at, I believe, 2pm. Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we're in a big, big room, so it be nice to fill it. Thanks to everyone who's bought tickets so far. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, if you want tickets, go to beefanddairynetwork.com and there's a link there to tickets. It's at King's Place in King's Cross. And what fun it will be. We have the use of a Steinway piano, which I think is worth like £20,000. <laughs> So uh, if you want to see someone knocking out some nonsense about beef on that rarefied an instrument, that's the place you can do it. Edit, this is me later on. I've just looked up exactly how much it's worth and knew it costs, uh, the model that they've got costs £140,000. What? Secondly, um, check out Tom Crowley's podcast. Tom Crowley was all the way through that episode and he's got his own podcast called Crowley Time, C-R-O-E. W-L-E-Y and um, I'm featured somewhat in his most recent episode and it's basically a one-man sketch show that he does on his own and it's really brilliant so go and check that out and thirdly I just want to say if you don't mind on the occasion of this the 50th episode if you'll allow me to be earnest for a moment I just want to say thanks very much for listening and thanks to everyone who's come on the podcast over 50 episodes Sort of can't believe I've made 50 episodes, but I'm still going. I'm going to keep going. It's such a pleasure. The biggest part of the fun is just all the people who listen and occasionally get in touch on Twitter and get involved with all the nonsense on there and send emails. And you're just all nice, fun people. And I don't know, it's a nice way to spend my time. So thanks very much. Also, the other thing I've realized after 50 episodes is kind of how hard it is to recommend the show to someone else. I'll very often go on Twitter and see people recommend... I So, Cars on the Table, I will search the name Beef and Dairy Network maybe once a week on Twitter to see what people make of it. Edit, if I'm honest, actually, every day. And there'll often be someone trying to suggest it to a friend and them going, okay, yeah, maybe. And it's obviously not an easy one to suggest. But um, I wondered if, as a little present for me, for the 50th episode, uh, maybe you could recommend it to a friend so 
go on Twitter or Facebook and or you know someone you know who likes comedy podcasts and maybe recommend it to them or another way of helping out is maybe write a review on iTunes I mean not that fi- in the grand scheme of things 50 is no different to 49 is it but you know why don't we try and turn this into an opportunity to try and let people know about the podcast um you don't have to <laughs> I just thought it might be nice it's a hard podcast to market to the world so many people think it's really about the beef and dairy industries who haven't heard it seriously lots of people think that that's what it is uh, uh and yeah huge thanks to you for listening and here's to another 50 episodes have a nice rest of august bye I'm Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And together we host a podcast called Still Buffering, where we answer questions like, why should I not fall asleep first at a slumber party? How do I be fleet? Is it okay to break up with someone using emojis? And sometimes we talk about bugs. No, we don't. Nope. <laughs> Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, a sister's guide to teens through the ages. I am a teenager and... I was two butts, 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 butts. If you want to make ends meet in a hip town, the kind with great coffee, lots of dog parks, you're gonna need a side hustle. In Brooklyn, maybe you drive rideshare. In Fairhaven, it's more like... Well, it's more like slaying psychic beasts with your custom-balanced throwing knives. Hey, are you from Hunter? Uh, I guess so. Hold on, I have to ask you some stuff. Are you hurt? No. Do you feel yourself developing strange powers? I mean, I saw a ghost once. Uh, Okay, I'm gonna put down no. Okay. So, you're having some sort of monster issue. Oh, um, it's like a pod, I guess? Um, here it is. Is... Is that what you call it? Like like a pod? Yeah, pod works. Oh, it's opening! Morgan leaps back and positions the metal spear she's been carrying on her back. She points it towards the bug, which swipes the spear away just as an electrical bolt fires from the tip. It hits the gate to a petting zoo, and a bunch of baby goats come streaming out. Can we just take a moment to appreciate how cute this is? It's great. I hope someone's filming it. Oh my god, I just love baby goats. Bubble, the sci-fi comedy from MaximumFun.org. Just open your podcast app and search for Bubble. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.